are talking about doing this and not that with Marty Miller and myself, Wendy Batts, on the Master Instructor Roundtable. And we did a part one a few, uh, gosh, a few months ago, uh, I guess almost half a year ago. And we got some really good um, feedback from you guys. And there were some more questions that we had based on other types of exercises. And so Marty and I put together some exercises based on emails that we had gotten. And then of course we added a couple of our own that we often see in the gym. And yes, here we are. So I'm so excited to be here with y'all today. And Marty. Wendy, thank you for, you know, picking up on that there. So I had this great intro, but you did a tremendous job, <laughs> you know, but that's what happens when you go live. It, it is what it is, but I am excited for this week because we did this before. We were hoping it would be a great topic. We got a lot of feedback and I'm excited to go through today's exercises and see where the conversation goes. Yes. So what are we going to talk about? If we think about it, we're going to talk about some popular exercises that we think, and then based on biomechanics and movement could be considered high risk. And then obviously we're going to talk about some safe alternatives. So we're not saying don't do it. We're saying, Hey, maybe reconsider why this might not be the best option because marty and i don't say you can't it's just should you and if so what is the risk versus benefit which we've done a lot of those um so i'm ready to jump right on in absolutely so wendy i put this one out here first i think we both have some interesting points of view on this but I love kettlebells. It's it's something I am spending more time with for a lot of reasons. We don't, we went over it with grip strength. We went over on some of our other podcasts how they can be for stability, they can be for strength, they can be for power. Just going back to what you said is okay, what are we doing? What do we want to achieve out of the exercise? Kettlebell swings are incredibly popular, which is great. They're fabulous for metabolic conditioning, they're fabulous for that triple extension. It just comes down to where do we want the kettlebell to finish? And as we always talk about risk versus reward, we're not trying to create any injuries. We want to move in patterns that will reduce injuries. And when you see what's considered that American kettlebell swing, and I'm taking out anybody that's competing in a kettlebell contest, because as we've always said, you might do something in a competition that's higher risk. We're talking about this exercise for generalized fitness. And if you look at the two individuals on the left, and then the other picture right next to it is it's almost impossible to do that without a low back arch and a forward head. And at what point are you starting to lose tension in the core and the kettlebell and shift it to the shoulder? So it just, again, depends on what we're looking for. I like the version on the right where it's that good hinge, good plank position in a sense, a dynamic plank. And when you finish, you finish at shoulder level, core tight, no low back arch, chin tucked. I absolutely love those type of kettlebell swings. Yeah. And, and I mean, just, just again, for like, if we think about definitions, I mean, Marty has the American kettlebell swing. That's the one that we're telling you guys to be careful with, because when you're looking at the positioning, it is a generalized kettlebell swing, but usually like when you're thinking about the Russian kettlebell swing, as Marty mentioned, those, that type of swing ends up finishing at the torso or eye level. So really you're focusing on power output in the glutes, in the quads, in the hips, which is what that exercise is meant to do. And then what the American kettlebell swing, um, and Marty, I don't know if this started actually in CrossFit. I'm not sure who actually kind of started doing this. Like if I do more, more is better. 
and look how high up I can go. And the differences between the Russian kettlebell swing, which is what Marty was talking about on the right, and the American kettlebell swing is that instead of finishing about torso to eye level and letting the bell with the momentum work with the hips and the primary core, you know, and the muscles that we should be working, it actually finishes with the bottom of the kettlebell facing the ceiling. And, you know, if you're thinking about really trying to work on the hips, you want that weight to be heavy. And so the thing is, is this, what is the intention of the exercise? Because if you want it to be an overhead shoulder swing, then you definitely want to lighten the load, but that's really not going to do what the hips or what the originally the kettlebell swing was designed for it, you know, so you've got to kind of think about the differences because the shoulder muscles and the stabilizers of the short shoulder capsule, plus the extensibility that a lot of people, um, you know, lack basically in their lats, as well as when they, they do anything overhead, they are going to use, like Marty said, use the lower back. They're going to end up stressing out their neck. I mean, look at the neck positions on all these guys um, that have the kettlebell overhead and the lower back is, is taking the toll too. So instead of it being really focused on the glutes, the quads, the hips, you're focusing more on lower back, the arms, and, you know, can you actually get the weight up? And so, so again, one of those things to consider, where do you stop or how do you load the weight if you are going to take it above your head? Yeah. And, and we've mentioned many times the risk versus reward as you go overhead, there's safe ways to do it. There's progressions to do it. It's just like you said, Wendy, dynamically with heavy load, is that what you might want to be doing, especially if you're doing it with the forward head, which we know puts more stress on the shoulder and the arch in the low back, which either is used because it's so heavy or the inability of the lats to extend properly. Both of those, though, are still going to compromise the shoulder complex for sure. Yes. And if, if your client, you know, just on another really quick point, if your client showed the arms falling forward and the overhead squat assessment, then this definitely should be an exercise you avoid until you get better extensibility. So again, we don't usually do these types of movements necessarily until we get to strength and power. So hopefully you've corrected that, but just definitely keep, keep an eye out on it. Couldn't agree more. So when do you want to jump in the next? I put the picture Arnold in there. Obviously that's for me, but. <laughs> so the, over, the overhead tricep extension. I mean, you know, we've talked about this multiple times, you know, the whole purpose of us doing the five kinetic chain checkpoints. And when you're standing in the five kinetic chain checkpoints and you're performing the exercises at a slow controlled tempo, utilizing whatever rep or weight based on your rep range and the ability of that client to perform it. We do that because everything is lined up as ideally as you can. So therefore, if you're really focusing on one particular muscle group, that muscle group is the one that you're using. However, if you do the overhead tricep extension, most people do it, not as Arnold is necessarily, but with two hands around the actual dumbbell, they put it over their head, they have to move their head forward, and then they actually lift up. So two things happen here. Again, if you don't have the extensibility in your lat, you're going to arch your lower back, okay, in order just to get the weight up over your head. And then in order not to knock yourself out with the weight, you must move your head forward in order to bring that weight down. And what is the ideal purpose of that? Well, to work the triceps. And so as we just said, there are so many safer alternatives to get the triceps to actually fire correctly without compensation by doing what the lady's doing, even on the cable. You can see she's got a slightly bent um, hip. And so therefore, you know, she's trying to maintain the five kinetic chain checkpoints. 
Um, I prefer the ones either on the bench or on the ball doing, you know, I always call them headbangers, um, but tricep extensions that way. Or if you really want to engage your core and really focus on fighting gravity, then I think you're kind of getting more for your, you know, more bang for your buck because you're utilizing way more muscles by doing the prone tricep extension. Yeah, great points, Wendy. And even with our, our friend Arnold there, you can see he's got to laterally flex even to get himself in position. You know, Arnold's Arnold. Um, I had to put him in there because that's what I, uh, you know, saw coming out as a young boy into fitness. But, you know, biomechanically, there's a lot of things that are, are going wrong there. And we're looking at longevity. We're looking at proper biomechanics. And, you know, there's so much more you can get out of these other exercises or that term that you and I use, Wendy, accidental exercise. There's nothing wrong. I mean, we just came out with the physique and bodybuilding coaches course on purpose because there is a time and a place where you're looking for that cosmetic uh, alter, you know, alteration of somebody. And it's OK to do bodybuilding type exercises, comma, just understand that there might be safer ways to do some of the ones that have been known in the industry and these tricep exercises have been popular, but let's try to find a more creative way to do it, even if you're in that bodybuilding physique uh, phase of training. Yes. Well, and, and like there's so many different alternatives for triceps. I mean, again, you know, you could even do the triceps where your hands are, you know, like your elbows are by your rib cage and you've got good posture. I mean, another one we've talked about, you know, in positioning is if you are going to do the cable and you're using like the, the actual um, equipment that the lady in the middle is using with the cable, then just make sure that you you bring your shoulders back and that you keep your um, elbows and wrists in line with each other and that your hands end up to your side and come back up um, the exact same path. Because oftentimes people start with their hands by their belly button and then everything at that point, um, then they go out to their side and, and, and then they stay internally rotated. And so posture is going to be extremely important, especially if you really want to get good activation in the triceps. Um, but, you know, you want to think about the five kinetic chain checkpoints in order to maintain ideal posture. But it's also you want to think about the integrity of that shoulder capsule that we've talked about. A lot of things run through the rotator cuff. A lot of things are happening on the front side. Overactivity is a thing. So working posterior delt and triceps is very important. Just make sure that uh, that you think through what are you working? And then how is your positioning? Yeah. And, and the good news, you know, for those either just join us, say on the master instructor Roundtable, myself, Marty Murth, Wendy Bats, we're talking about do this, don't do that. And in this version, when we talk about, we just gave you a couple ideas for triceps, right? But there's so many new things that you can do and clients like to change whether they need the change or not. Sometimes, you know, I had clients be like, oh, we just did this exercise last time. I'm like, yeah, we're still working on that, but having the ability to, change the exercise around to get different things while they're working what they think that that tricep you know i love the one at the top with the ball because now you're getting glute activation the one on the bottom she's getting like a cobra at the same time so there's a lot of ways to sneak some stuff in and give your client something new each time but we know what we're working on yes indeed oh marty this is your thing i know you and your olympic lifts so i am going to give you the floor you did a great job, Wendy, prefacing. And if you didn't hear what Wendy said at the very beginning, you, you'll go back and listen to this. I promise you, we're not against certain exercises. We're going to evaluate them and say, well, okay, if you're going to do this, what's your reason why? If you're okay with you know, the compensations because there's a purpose for it, understand that you may need to do some other parts of training to offset that. 
But if you're just trying to do this because you thought it was a great exercise and you don't want to run the risk of some of these exercises, this is what we're doing today. Do this, don't do that. Is there alternatives that maybe you just hadn't thought about? So when we talk about barbells, it is a complex exercise device in a lot of manners. Now, landmines are great. There's other ways to do it. But when you're putting both hands on the bar, there's a lot of biomechanical things that need to be going right or could be going wrong, especially if you're new or a novice to lifting and you don't know how to do that. We've had a partner here with Alico that has given some great courses in this type of training. I highly recommend you take one of those type of courses if you want to do these. But even our good friend Rodney Corn would tell you, okay, what's your why and pick which one of these versions you want. So if you're looking at a snatch, let's start with the image on the left. There's a lot going on in her low back. Think about the shrugging position and that forced external rotation with under load. Then if you're capable of getting the bar to where the individual in the center is, you've got to have great lat extensibility. You're probably going to have a forward head and now you're going to have a lot of pressure in your low back. If you're competing, you absolutely have to do these. If you're just looking for total body power and total body metabolic conditioning, maybe a safe alternative would be going to a one-arm kettlebell swing because now with both arms not having to be overhead, the lat doesn't need to be as flexible as well as, you know, it's easier to learn on one arm than two. And now you can be in a safer position and you can see at the top, He's not loaded in the same position as the individual in the middle. So both have their place. It just comes down to what are you trying to accomplish? What can you teach? And what is the risk tolerance for that client? And if it's a low risk to no risk tolerance, I would gravitate to the one-arm kettlebell. I, you know what? I agree. And, and I'm going to say this again. Marty said it. I said it in the beginning. I am going to repeat it because people love the snatch. They love barbells. They love using it. We're not saying don't use it, but to Marty's point, this takes time. Sometimes we'll notice or we'll hear from clients that when they first walk into the gym, they know the barbell because that's what they did in college. That's what they really enjoy. And so that's the first thing that they do. And um, what we've learned in our courses, I know what, what Rodney really uh, preaches as well. There's different types of bars that people can learn on as well. The different weights of a bar, the different grips of a bar or the different grips on the bar. And then as well as it is a teach in progress. So make sure that you've got the right extensibility in your ankles in order to get down. If you're going to throw the bar overhead and you're going to squat down like the lady in the middle, you need to have really good dorsiflexion in order to do that without compensation. Same thing as Mark's, or Marty just said with the lats. I mean, guys, you know, think about where the lats attach in the lower back. And so therefore you've got to think about all, all the pressure that you're putting on the vertebrae by lifting that type of load. And so, yes, your competitors absolutely going to be important. However, if you're the weekend warrior, you're someone like myself, you do want to get to power. And these are power exercises. Olympic lifts do increase power production. 100% agree with that. However, there is a process. That's why we have power in the model at phase five and not in phase one, is to make sure that when you are utilizing those muscles to do whatever you want to do, whether you're in phase four or phase five, that you can do that without compensating. Because again, compensation is going to lead to injuries. The wrong muscles aren't firing in the right plane of motion. And so therefore, other things have to happen. That's where dysfunction starts to occur. Muscle imbalances happen more often. And so just be smart and do things in sections to make sure you know how to, to, to do just the basic deadlift or the squat or just even the movement. 
Right. And, you know, as much as I would love to be able to do one of these barbell exercises because of the uh, output of the power, I'm working on my mobility all the time. If I get into a deep squat, just body weight, I don't feel like I could live there all day. I'm getting there. I'm getting better. You know, so I'll do a deep squat and then put my arms overhead. If that feels restricted, would I want to load it? No, um, that's not where my body is. And maybe my body will never be there, but that's okay. Can I do that one arm kettlebell snatch and get great power development? Absolutely. Am I ever going to compete where I need to put a bar over my head? No. So again, I'm, you know, it just comes down to what's best for me and the way my hips are built and the way my mobility is. I, I personally won't feel comfortable enough throwing a bar above my head. So I work on the deep squat. I love getting better at it but I'm going to load myself like you see on the right. Yeah. And, and I mean, just so you guys know too, with like my clients who are just even going through the motions of this before I even give them a weighted bar, we'll use something like the mobility sticks. So they understand the movement. They understand when they are supposed to catch the bar, how they catch it, how they're supposed to load it, what the body does and, and um, what the reactive force are they going into a squat? Do they keep it up? And again, what is the, ult- the, the, the purpose? Is it for competition? Because there are certain movements that you have to do c- extremely well in order for it to c- quote count and get credit for it um, as a perfect rep. So really important. Yep. Technique is everything. Yep. Make sure you learn them. So bicep time, Wendy. I know this is oh. your all about the gun show. I mean, you know, guys, arms are important. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, hold on Maybe- to everything, right? Yes. You don't want to have the the flabby arms. People really are looking for, you know, oh, this is one of my clients is like, I really want the vein. Unfortunately, some of that is genetics, guys. I hate to tell you. Some people want the peak to happen at a certain, you know, like when their arm is doing something um, a certain way. And again, a lot of that is genetics. However, when you are working out and you are doing different bicep curls, I think it's very important to think about a few things. If you use a straight arm bar, then oftentimes you will hear your clients complain that it hurts their elbow. Okay. And so what we would tell people to do is use the easy bar, which is the bar that you're going to see right on the left hand side while they're standing with their shoulders back. Because I mean, I know we're talking about preacher curls, which is different. And then they can go up and down and or you can do dumbbells or you can use cables, anything that does not restrict your elbow movement. And the reason being is if you were to stand up right now and you put yourself in the five kinetic chain checkpoints and you put your shoulders back, your head's in good positioning and you drop your hands down to your sides and you actually go to grip a bar and then you bend, you are probably not going to be knuckles pointed straight ahead. There is something called the natural carrying angle, which is where your arm naturally bends. And so if you have a curl bar, then you're not restricting where your hands end up while you're just flexing the elbow. Because remember, you you uh, supinate, flex your elbow, slightly flex your shoulder. That is a complete bicep function. So that's going to be your concentric contraction. With the preacher curls here, with this man, while he is using that easy bar, which is fantastic, He's got himself locked into internal rotation and he's actually, remember, it's slight flexion. So he is slightly flexed, but he's not doing that. That is a movement that's already placed. So therefore he's not controlling that and providing that movement. And then he's actually just curling. Is he getting the maximal contraction? No, 
because not really, but is it something cool and they make a machine for it or, you know, the pad and you want to use it, that's fine. But again, think about different, you know, positioning, what the outcome is. And if they're internally rotated already, or they have a forward head, I would stay away from that because you're feeding into a compensation that they're trying to get themselves out of. Yeah. Great points, Wendy. And, you know, with the preacher curl again, it's, again, what am I trying to accomplish? You know, the other thing too, is you're going to see a lot of people, their shoulders are elevated at the same time. So Wendy mentioned the internal rotation of the shoulder, but a lot of times people will also be with a shrugging elevation and some thoracic um, flexion. So just their, their core is just kind of dormant. And if anything, it's in a bad position. So there's a lot there. And then if they have to extend the bar down, most men don't have as much range of motion in their bicep as they may think they might be limited there as well. So, you know, just what are we trying to accomplish? If you are really truly looking for isolation exercise, there are other ways to do it. I've seen people safer do it standing where they're just doing one arm and they're kind of sitting to the side. Wendy's you're saying kind of getting their arm in a more natural position. Mm -hmm. Okay. Might not be something I do because I'm trying to look for more bang for my buck, but I'm okay with that. But when you look at the two um, on the right, the core is involved the entire time, right? So that's going to be key for us is getting their core engaged, heads in the right position. We're not putting the body at any risk. And if they're doing a lot of pulling motions, they're getting biceps as well. They just don't think about it. And then I like to do, depending on what phase of training, some single um, leg bicep you can do them together you can do alternating and really try to work on now the stability from the ground up as well as you do your bicep so we're not saying never do an isolated heavier bicep curl maybe just try to be in a better position than what you would see in a standard preacher curl and and for those of you guys that say well i feel like i don't have enough time to get everything in i mean if you're doing the single leg bicep curl then you're working your biceps while you're still working on especially if they're in phase one and they are, um, you know, big time pronators. You notice that during the overhead squats. So the arches fell, their feet turned out. This is a really good way to strengthen their foot, strengthen the, um, you know, the different saddles that make up the arch of the foot. That's why we do single leg balance. And then you're getting your arms in the same time. So instead of just sitting there, you know, doing maybe just a standing balance or, or balance with reach, then add the body, the upper body, you know, buys and tries. Because again, most people love to do bicep curls. They they think that that, you know, they're going to look better because it is about how you look um, oftentimes and nobody wants saggy arms. So, you know what? Give them what they want while giving them what they need. Marty, Where did you get that one from? I That's don't number know. Two. Number two. <laughs> and Love those it. of you guys joining Marty Miller and I today, Wendy Bats on the Master Instructor Roundtable, we're talking about do this, don't do that, or do this, not that, or do this and really consider are there alternatives for that? Because again, we can't say don't do it or you shouldn't do it. It's just really think about what is the outcome and what muscle are you trying to activate? <laughs> well said, Wendy, well said, as always. So now I'm trying not to get ourselves with these, you know, emails coming to us. You said, you said, no, no, I did not. <laughs> we're suggesting to consider alternatives and speaking Highly of that, suggesting it. Yes. this is one that I changed years ago. I wasn't thinking it through And from the pictures. You may not really be like, well, wait a minute. What's the difference? So when you look at the individual on the left, now, again, it's going to be easier to see if we had seen me set up in a video is a lot of people will get their shoulders in position and then they cross over and move the leg where the individual on the right set his lower body and then he moves the upper body. Doesn't look much different, but yet it is. 
So where we need rotation is the thoracic spine. So the individual on the left, he kind of put his upper body in a position and he's trying to get motion from his lumbar spine. Doesn't mean it won't feel good. Doesn't mean he might not be tight because of course you're going to address the piriformis in there slightly. It's not a direct targeted piriformis stretch, but you're not truly getting the thoracic rotation you need. So when you look at the individual on the right, he's got himself in a nice position. He even uses a foam roller to kind of keep his hips level. And if his leg comes off that foam roller, he knows he's now compensating. He's ran out of motion in the thoracic spine. So the leg is going to try to go with you so the, the thoracic spine can move to another level. So that's where just small little differences is what are we trying to target and what's actually happening in the exercise. So for me, because I'm not trying to get rotation out of the lumbar spine, and if I'm going to target the piriformis, I would do that stretch a little differently to make sure I get the piriformis. I'm going to do the open book versions that you see with our individual here on the right. Yeah. And oftentimes, because it's really hard sometimes for the clients to understand that, or they're like, oh, I do this in the morning because they feel like they need to quote pop their lower back and they just throw a leg over and then they wait to hear that noise that, and then there's just like their free adjustment for the morning. And, you know, so be it if that's the whole purpose. But, but when you are doing an open book, the whole purpose is to try to, as Marty said, really get um, some mobility going in the, in the thoracic spine. So too often one or two that I often do with my clients is literally just put the foam roller in between the shoulder blades. Um, and just like they're going to, you know, foam roll the, the thoracic spine. And then I just have them do some flexion and extension, trying to get some mobility that way. But then when I want to actually work on rotation, I will put them in a prone position. So kind of like in yoga when they're doing, um, what is it? The, well, they're, they're, they're trying to sit their, their glutes on top of their heels um, and so, but their legs aren't spread out. Um, they're actually together. So knees are together, their feet are together. They, they're, they're sitting down on top of their heels. So glutes there, then they put their hands like in a plank position, but their thoracic spine is going to be what ends up moving. Because if you can keep your glutes and your heels on top of each other, and then you take, you know, you're in the, the plank position, you put one hand behind your head and go elbow to ceiling. You're like actually getting pose position. I'm sorry. Like a child's pose position. Uh, uh, that's the word. Yeah. I'm like, what is that called? Like, yes. Anymore. Thank you, Marty. You know what? I, this is why I, need you. I need you, Marty. <laughs> I need you to help me with these um, yoga positions. But anyway, right. but if you're in the I'm child's yogi, pose position and you put one hand behind your head and you go elbow to ceiling and you have your head rotate with it, you really are getting good thoracic um, mobility and rotation and with yourself locked down in the lower back, then you're locking that lumbar spine to make sure that the rotation isn't coming from that region. So okay. if, if your client is struggling with the open book or you notice that they really are getting um, more stretching in their lumbar spine, then maybe consider those other two as an alternative until they get maybe some better um, understanding of how they're moving. Because believe it or not, people don't know how to differentiate their own body right now. Right. And what I like about it, I'm glad you, I, I wish I would have thought about putting that um, other option there. So let's go back to the, the model. So in stabilization training or corrective, I use this one early on or in a continuum because I'm letting gravity do the work statically mm -hmm. to try to get more range of motion. Then what I'll do is I'll use that exact one that Wendy described. And it's awesome because that becomes more of an active stretch because I'm using the muscles that should be rotating me to gain strength in that range of motion. So that's beautiful that you mentioned that because this 
if you know may work for somebody who just has to let gravity do the work and they hold that and then as you want to progress without a doubt you need to be able to use those muscles those paraspinal muscles to rotate those joints so the one that wendy described in that child's pose is a great way to start getting some active stretching in there as mm -hmm. well so thank you for bringing that up my pleasure <laughs> And guys, we could do this all day. And, and, and you know, we want these extra questions to keep coming in because we want to be able to provide these types of podcasts that are going to help you kind of think through some different exercises that maybe, you know, you really didn't think about some of the stuff we talked about. So if there are some questions that you have about other exercises, let them go. Marty and I really do like to do these different types of um, continuations, um, A, because we, we know they're helping you. So that's why we want to do it. But but overall, you always want to think about each and every exercise. What muscle are you trying to target? So what's the prime mover? And then, um, or what are you trying to target? And then the exercise you, you choose, what is the prime mover of that exercise? And do they match? And then you have to think about, can I maintain the quality of my positioning, maintaining the five kinetic chain checkpoints, and then do the exercise without compensation at the tempo that's needed based on wherever I am in the model, which is going to be based on whatever goal they have. And then if you notice that someone is compensating, then you want to be able to do what we've talked about. Always have an exercise regression. And if it seems simple, then, then you can progress that, that exercise, whether it's an exercise, whether it's a stretch, whether it's, you know, utilizing different positionings, but you just want to be smart in your choices and don't try to be that guy that's so creative where, it's like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, because I see that very often. It's like your biceps do certain things. Your quads do certain things. It doesn't have to be this crazy thing that you might've read in a magazine because it may not be the right thing for your client. Right. Yeah. Wendy, thanks for, you know, doing such a great recap. The key thing is look at an exercise, ask yourself what you're trying to accomplish, reverse engineer it, think of progressions and regressions. And as Wendy always says, it's always, always about the five K's. So I think that, um, <laughs> you know, I listen to you, you listen to me clearly. So it's, we're a great, we're a great team. Yes. So Wendy, thank you for all those great points. And if you want to tell these amazing people how to get a hold of you. Yeah. If you guys want to find me on um, Instagram, you can always go to wendy.bats13 or you can email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org. And then our amazing producer, Eric, going to bring mine up right on cue as always dr.martymiller72 for my Instagram and then my email marty.miller at nasm.org. And as Wendy said, we promise we do these every week for you. So please do not hesitate to reach out, give us some ideas, and we promise we will put it on the list. So Wendy, great job as always. Eric, thank you for being such an amazing producer all year. And for all of you that joined us, thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable.